0: Um. Then after last class, when I threw it out there, I didn't really advertise it too much. Like I just put it up kind of on Facebook, and I didn't do very much after that. And I wanted to see if I just threw it out there, see what would happen. And I'm very impressed, like you know, that you're here. If you're here, it means that you must have like responded. Either you saw it or you were aware of it, and it means that. Whoever's here, I would say, is more attuned to what's going on around them than the average. Right. Because I didn't make it easy to know that it was happening. I didn't send out special invitations or reminders or anything like that. So um, I'm going to take advantage of that tonight. I'm going to say that we're a self-selected crowd of people.
1: Especially since you said class was yesterday. That's
0: right. Since I said class was yesterday. But if I'm you would have come, come here last night, you would have seen my live comedy. Did anybody actually do that by accident? What? Uh, Two people did actually show up last night, and they were very happy they did.
1: (laughs) How was it last night?
0: It was a lot of fun. It was really a lot of fun. I can't say whatever happens there stays there, but it was a lot of fun. We had a big mix of all different types of people. It was quite a scene. So, tonight is my uh, boundaries in dating part two. What we're going to do is, if you have tonight's handout, if you were here... On Wednesday, you'll notice that it's the second half of my handout from Wednesday, plus I decided I wrote this morning, I wrote something that came up. So there was a discussion on Wednesday night about codependent relationships. So I'm going to get into codependent relationships tonight because I see that it's something that's really, really important to people. So I actually wrote this up this morning. Um, this whole thing on codependent relationships So if you don't have a handout for this week I encourage you to get the handout It's in the front by Joseph There's more than enough copies for everybody And that's what I'm going to use tonight uh, For our discussion You ready? We'll be together My goal is that I'm going to try to get through the material Talk about it You know what? I'm not going to create a roadmap for tonight I don't know where tonight's gonna go, and that's okay. We'll see what happens. I, I just came from, an, from, an, from another class, and I did exactly the same thing, and we had good results. So I don't know what's gonna happen tonight. Tonight's for you, so please feel free. You can ask anonymous questions by um, putting it in the bowl or kind of passing them around. I won't look at who it came from. If you want to use one of your cards on the table, So you can remain anonymous, I like that for you, or you can just ask me if you don't want to be anonymous, but you're still anonymous because we're all one big happy family here, aren't we? Okay, good. So, (laughs) back to the text. Healthy compromise. Healthy compromise doesn't compromise oneself. It's an expression of strong self-esteem. The result of healthy compromise is a healthier sense of self. Now, last week I spoke about one scenario. Tonight I'm going to go into a second scenario. This is how the scenario looks. I broke up with this guy. I know he isn't good for me. Why do I keep going back when I made up my mind not to? So now, there are two types of ways that this scenario plays out. It plays out in real life where people are constantly breaking up and somehow they end up back with this person. For whatever reason, there's some kind of relationship, there's some kind of chemistry. Or, and I want to point this out and bring it out, it also happens in our minds. There are people who live in their minds, in relationships, for years. They're fantastical relationships they're fantasy relationships and I want to tell you in my opinion these relationships are as real to, them. real to them as being in a real relationship and it's really important to point it out and if you're someone that has had that experience before you should know that you're not alone it's A lot of people that I speak to, I hear a lot about this more and more, because at the end of the day, there could be a number of reasons why this would happen. First of all, it's really hard to be alone. So even if you don't have any feelings for that person, it's better to have fantasy feelings for a person who may or may not exist than to have fantasy feelings for somebody who you never were in a relationship with, like somebody on TV, which some people do, have fantasy feelings for people on TV. And they follow them and they stalk them, however they can stalk you know, celebrities, etc. And they read all about them and they fall in love with them and fall out of love with them. But if you were actually had feelings, and I'm going to go even a step further, if you were infatuated with somebody at some point, it's much easier to stay infatuated with them forever. But what I will tell you is, and I'm not here to judge you, that's not why I'm saying it. I'm not saying whether this is right or wrong, but don't be in a relationship with someone else if you're in a fantasy relationship with somebody. Don't allow... It's not fair. You're not being fair. If you get into a relationship while you're in a fantasy relationship with someone, you're not being fair to the person you're in a real relationship with. It's not fair. So I definitely think that that's a very important thing to point out. Once again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying whether or not it's right or wrong tonight, because it's not my place or anyone's place to tell you what's a right or wrong relationship for you. But I want what I would love more than anything when it comes to boundaries and relationships that you're realistic. You say to yourself, you don't have to say it to anyone else, maybe your therapist, I don't know. But most importantly, say to yourself, I. I'm in a fantasy relationship with such and such a person. Whether that person has feelings about me, I don't know. But I have feelings for them, and I'm still in a relationship with them. And until further notice, I'm not available. I know people who have followed that for years and years and years. They've been in relationships with people in their minds and in their hearts. It's not my place to say whether it's right or wrong, but it's a reality for a lot of people.
1: Do you help them with
0: it? No, I don't think anyone can help them with it. Not even a really good therapist can help them with it, because um, there are too many things that they have to lose by not being in that relationship. The way when you so it's a great question that you're asking. I'll tell you when you are allowed to be helped. When your losses are more than your gains. In any situation, and I don't only mean in relationships, if I can teach you one thing tonight, you can seek help from someone on anything in your life when your losses are more than your gains. As long as you have more gains than losses, you cannot seek help. And nobody can help you, and actually, it'll be detrimental to you to get help. And very often, and I understand it, and I can commiserate with it, very often when it comes to these fantasy relationships, the gains are much more than the losses. There's, you have too much to lose by, by getting out of that fantasy relationship. And that's okay, but I just, it's good to call it out and say what it is. Just, even if it's to yourself in your car, and you just scream it out. Call it out to the world, to the universe, and say, this is my life, and this is what I've chosen. And it's not a passive choice, it's an active choice. And I think that itself is a very powerful thing. So like I said, if there's one thing that I teach you tonight, only seek help when your losses are more than your gains. As long as your gains are more than your losses, don't seek help. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does anyone here not understand what I'm saying? Because, please, I would say this is probably one of the most valuable pieces of information that I've ever taught in any class ever.: Yes. Um, what do you mean by
1: We'll be back after a quick break.: Are
0: you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere?: Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers?
1: Hi, I'm Elisa Ben
0: Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yastral Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love... Then tune in to Matchmaker, Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great question. I will explain that in a second. Good question? The same question. What do I mean about gains and losses? Okay. Anyone else have another question on that note about gains and losses? Okay, so let's go to people who understand Because besides the two people who asked Maybe there's people in the room that do understand What do I mean by gains versus losses? So
1: you're talking about a fantasy relationship,
0: right? I'm talking about anything Anything in life oh. You want to seek help, you have an issue in life And you want to ask for advice What I'm saying is that Very often people ask for advice But they don't want to be helped Because they have too much to lose By being helped so give me, give me an example. Anyone, give me a, a random circumstance that's not gonna be too personal for anyone. Come on, throw it out there. Not all at once. They don't
1: wanna give up their uh,
0: freedom of their single life. Sense of independence, freedom of single life. So now, that's a great example. A lot of singles don't actually w- wanna say it, but if they really looked deep into themselves, and we're gonna go to the Venn diagram that we started before, so we're going to go back to that Venn diagram that we did on Wednesday, but if you look deep into the well, into the character of who you are, into the person, you're going to find that you don't want to not be single. Okay, let's go back to our Venn diagram. Do you remember what we were talking about this? Who wasn't here on Wednesday? Just so I know. Okay, you weren't here on Wednesday. Okay, fine. So because you weren't here on Wednesday, I'm not going to refer to Wednesday anymore. Does that, does that make you feel better? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. Nothing happened on Wednesday, we're starting all over again. So, anyone here know what a Venn diagram is? Three
1: circles that intersect.
0: That's good, three circles that intersect. I'm gonna put it right here, so everybody can see it. This is my Venn diagram. By the way, I often like to use Venn diagrams when I talk about just about anything. I use them in my Kabbalah classes, I use them in my Torah classes, and I'm also gonna use them in my relationship classes. This Venn diagram, you can apply So a Venn diagram is very important to know. You're gonna have three succinct ideas, and they're gonna intersect, as Mitchell said. And these intersections are called common spaces. Common spaces are very important because we're gonna look at common space, and then we're gonna look at the common space in the middle. Our our Venn diagram tonight, we're gonna look at is the basis of relational theory. And that is, the top of it is character, Character is, who am I? So you're going to go like this, okay? I want you to do this with me, please. Okay? Because I want to give you time to be able to really go over this. So you're going to ask your questions like, who am I? Okay? We call this the well. You're going to dig deepen into yourself. Pretend you are a person outside of what you do outside of your family of origin, outside of your family's guilt or shame, outside of everything that you've been taught, outside of all of the externals. Character. 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 Sorry. Did I... Can I can you not see that? Okay. That scribble over there says character. Got it? So you can write it down. Now you know it. Should I have to write it clearer? Does it help you if I write it clearer? Yeah. My deep apologies for... I'll try to be a little clearer from now on. Okay, so you're gonna deep dig your well, your personal well. No one has to know this besides you. This is really just for you and it's about you. It's really who you are. Outside of the way the world sees you, outside of your presentation mode, like even now I'm presenting to you I'm trying very hard not to be in presentation mode but I'm presenting so naturally I'm in presentation mode. Everyone who before you left your house you probably looked in the mirror to see how you looked. I didn't look how I look. I looking in the mirror. Oh, okay, I don't look good. Okay. Okay, thank you. So we all live in presentation mode. Let's talk about who we are as an individual. Who I am outside of
1: the presentation mode. Thank
0: you. What? So the question is, who am I? Let's think about it deep, deep into who we are. Deep into our psyche. Deep into our experiences. Deep into... All the parts of ourselves that we don't show the world, but sometimes we cover those parts up so much that we're afraid to even look at them. That's the who am I? Who am I? Let's just let's just spend a little time there, and just write. You can write other words. Um, just start writing words. Throw words. You could if you want, I, I would encourage you. I mean, I, I said that tonight I would do a Venn exercise, a Venn diagram exercise, so here, here we are. So ask, what, how would you describe yourself? Don't say I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant. Say, I am what? What's my nature? What makes me tick? When I wake up in the morning, what motivates me? Nothing motivates you right. Nothing motivates me right now. Right now. And then you're going to go like this. Circle right now. Maybe later something will. Have a conversation with yourself. When was the last time you spoke to yourself? If you don't know what to write, say, I don't know who I am. I don't know what to write. Start there. You've got to start with something. Just start making, mark it up. I can't imagine even thinking about myself. I have covered up my essence, the true nature of who, of who I am for so long, I couldn't even imagine what to write or what to say. This is for you. No one's going to ever see it besides you.
1: Human
0: being. What? Human being. Yeah. That's it. Who you are as an individual, but more than just the human. You start off, human being. Write it all down. Whatever comes to your mind, this is something you may work on for a long time. It's not something you may want to work on for a minute, but I'm just giving you the opportunity now. I don't want to put too many words into your mind. I'm trying not to put words into your mind. So you can put your own words into your mind. Who am I? Who am I? I am who? Two ways of looking at it, right? Who am I and I am who? Okay. The next one over here is self and other. This is the second, number two, right here. Self and other. Self and other is your relational self. It's, remember, and this is very important to understand, this is you doing a reflection exercise on yourself. So every single thing you're gonna write is biased to you. Which means if you asked somebody who knows you very well to do the same exercise, it may look a little differently. But this is you. So everything is biased. But the you who is biased about yourself, who loves yourself more than anyone loves you, that you who loves yourself, who's biased about yourself, you're going to ask yourself another question. (coughs) Who am I in relationships? Do I? Last week we spoke about the chameleon. Sorry, I said I want to talk about... So, some other time that we're not going to mention right now. I spoke about what it means to be chameleon. A lot of people become chameleons in relationships. Which means they kind of become what the other person wants them to be. Oh, you want me to be... I'm going to make that because I want to make the other person happy. They don't want to mess up something that's so good. They don't want to ruin a good thing. When the couple is getting married and I ask them to fill out this whole survey, and I see that he says, he says that he wants zero children, and she says she wants three, that was a very difficult conversation, and that's because one person was a <coughs> chameleon in the relationship, and they were afraid to rupture the relationship, and very often a lot of people in relationships, because you don't want to mess up too much of a good thing, <laughs> You don't rupture the relationship. And as a result, you can actually get engaged to someone and never have a conversation about children. It's happened. And more than once. To the same person. So, who is... Who are you in a relationship? How do you you be in a relationship? Now, I'm just going to show you the first common space. What do you think...
1: Am I speaking too theoretical here? No. Tell me. Did, speak? You did you say the outside? This
0: is, No, I didn't say this one yet. Character and self and other. There's a common space between character and self and other. And what does that look like? Give me an idea. What would be the common space between character and self and other? Singular and plural. More. When you show your true self to the other? Very good. When you, sh- when you, the will, when you can show your true self to the other person, so instead of responding or being in a relationship, how unhealthy a relationship, we're going to talk about enmeshed relationships tonight, that's going to be other self and other. A common space is me, my true self, being shown to the other.
1: Good? Yes? I don't know if you Right now it's like a lot of these weird relationships, like, um, today you got people that, that will, the receiving end will say, like, okay, open yourself up, be all in there, go in there, and the other person has no, like, no expression of themselves, there's no particular conversations. It's very, very often right now, people have a one-way conversation. Yes, yes, there's a so, lot of
0: people, there's a lot of men who go on first dates because it's free therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes Women are really good listeners I'm Obviously I'm stereotyping And I'm generalizing Because it hey, is a class And I can do that But it's I'm not talking about you I'm talking about You In general, in general. <laughs> But a lot of men Take advantage of the fact That a lot of women Are good listeners And they get free therapy So In the common space here There's no free therapy Unhealthy Relationship would be Imagine if I only talk about myself on the date, and you know. So that's what I said about me. Do you want to know anything else about me? That is unhealthy self-enough. But what, what does it mean
1: that the person, the other person, is not able to open up? Also, sort of similar character issues. Other, um, yeah, stuff?
0: obviously, obviously. Now I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna reveal the 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 third circle. The third circle is what we call relational theory. Thirdness. Sorry about my bad handwriting. Thirdness is everything else. I'll give you an example. If I walked into the room and you never saw me before, what would you say? My
1: nice
0: beard. This guy's got a beard. What else would you say about me? Who's the Amish guy? Who's the Amish guy? What else? <laughs> Probably an Orthodox Jew. That's all thirdness. Beard, Amish guy, and Orthodox Jew are all thirdness. Now, thirdness is nothing I can't control because it could be you had a really bad experience with an employer who was an Orthodox Jew or some other rabbi that you met who really had a bad experience. I can't control what you think about me before you have even had a conversation about me because I walked into the room and you created a thirdness between us. Because you don't know very much about Orthodox Jews and you called me Amish, I can't control that thirdness that you have towards me. And by the way, I live in a world, I'm going to call it out right now, I get a lot of thirdness in every way. I get thirdness from random people on the street. I even get thirdness from people in my own community because they have a certain idea of what a rabbi is supposed to be or an Orthodox Jew or a Hasidic Jew. And obviously, for those of you who know me, you know I break all those stereotypes but it's very difficult for me to walk into a room without carrying that thirdness with me because wherever I go, I carry this look. But,
1: Rabbi, do we have Amish in Montreal? I don't know. Or in Canada? Ultimately? Probably not. We have Amish in Indy Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, dude, it. I'm a hipster, okay? The <laughs>
0: Ontario. Okay, it's not about the beard. It's about the products. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I get, I get a lot of questions all of a sudden out of nowhere about what kind of products I use. So. I don't use any products. I've never had. It's all natural. It's all, all natural. Mm-hmm. This guy said, how long did it take you to grow that? I'm like, about 25 years. It
1: was that long when you're like
0: 17. So we carry a lot of thirdness with us wherever we go. And we all have thirdness. We have thirdness about relationships. For example, a lot of people walk into relationships with the pre-understanding of their old relationships. So you're carrying all your baggage with you into that relationship. That's thirdness. So what do you think is the common space between self and other and thirdness? Letting go. That could be. Yeah, very good. That could be. Letting go could be a common space. What else? Self and other. and th- Okay, that's too hard. Let's try this. Character and thirdness. What's a common space? Really easy. Come on. Give me some common space between character and thirdness. Stereotypes. Stereotypes are common spaces. Negative common spaces, yeah. What else?
1: Acceptance. No
0: Acceptance, Acceptance could be a positive common space. Qualities. Qualities. Expectation. What? Expectations. expectations. I think expectations could be a little more maybe um, a common space between thirdness and self and other. Expectations. Yeah. Presentation is going to be probably a little more in self and other. Attraction. Attraction. Attraction is going to be where? Probably a common space, a negative common space, I would call it, in between character and self and other. I mean, this can go on and on and on. We can talk about this all night, and that's fine. I have no problem talking about it. I'm saying, you're really using this as, and kind of asking yourself, who you are and, and what do you bring into a relationship? So let's so let's just kind of paint a picture. Give me a picture. Give me the name of a guy.
1: Ralph.
0: Ralph. Give me the name of a girl. Sharon. Sharon. Ralph and Sharon. Okay, let's talk about Ralph. Ralph, uh, how many how many relationships has Ralph been in? Six. Is he have a does he have a healthy outlook on relationships or a negative outlook on relationships? Pessimistic. Huh? Pessimistic. Pessimistic. Why is he pessimistic? Because he had six. What? He had six. <laughs> he had six relationships. What what was his longest relationship? <laughs>
1: six years. He, oh he's been in
0: a relationship for six years. Okay. What's his shortest relationship? Three months. Three months. So he's so he's someone who can commit or can't commit? Six years? What do we say? Yeah, yeah. He could commit. Okay, I'm gonna call this out right now. I just told you guys he's in a relationship for six years. What do you say? Is he commit, commitment phobe or not? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're going to say yes and no with that amount of information. <laughs> You're going to say yes and no. Okay, I'm going to ask a little more information about this guy. So, what do you want to know? And I want to, I'm, 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 want you to think about this a second. If you want to know if the guy is a commitment phobe or not, Why? after being in a relationship for six years, what is the question you want to ask? Why did it end? Maybe. Okay, let's ask that question. let's, 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 let's take this. Why did it end? Why did it end?
1: Dated to death.
0: Dated to death. I love that. He used my words. Dated to death. What do you mean? In six years? Dated I, to death? So dated to death is a term that I made up, right, which means that, six he, years no, up. means that he... No, it means that they dated to the point where there's nothing to date anymore and the, the relationship dissolved. I call it dating to death, which means like there's, just no, there's nothing left of the relationship because the relationship has a natural progression and as a result, they should have gotten in to an engagement slash marriage, but because they dated. So the guy, here's a great example. If the guy was in a relationship for six years and he dated her to death, in my terms, meaning that they dated and dated and dated until there's nothing left to the relationship, is he commitment-phobe? Yes. Very much so. So the fact that he was in a relationship for six years means nothing. Maybe the relationship was marriage. So if they're so if they're so so that was a great question that nobody asked before. He just asked a question. Were they married? Are they married? We don't know. We need to find out. So I'm asking you, this Ralph and Sharon, are they married? Sure, why not? Or were they married? Yeah. They were married? How long were they married yeah. for? They were married for four years. We dated for two and they were married for four? And he calls that six years relationship? Yes? Okay. Married for four. What's the question we ask? How do we know if he's good? Why did it end? Why did it end? Why did it end? Did they have any kids? I don't know. Great question. Do they have any kids? Do they have any kids? Let's ask the question on the question. Why do kids matter? What do kids got to do with it? It changes the enamor. Does it? Yeah. Does it? Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I'm just... I
1: mean, it definitely changes the relationship. Does it? For sure.
0: Okay. How?
1: You probably work the to the
0: Is it true? <clears throat> I don't know.
1: He could have felt pressure, right? And then kind of like strayed from all the pressure.
0: Maybe. So, are so you saying that about the infidelity? No, I would say. No, no it, it could be, and it's something that I see. What Sharon's bringing up is a very good point. Um, what, what I see a lot in couples. People who are single for a long time, and then they get married, and then they have a kid. I'm generalizing now, but I often see that there is a. Because they've been single so long, they end up regressing back into their singlehood when the child comes along. Why? Wow. Why? Great question. Wait, what does that mean exactly? I will tell you. Single? It just happens to be, and I am stereotyping, and I'm not talking about you or anyone you know but I'm talking about the general population. And I'm going to use men and women because I have to stereotype because this is a class and I'll say it over and over again. But you know I'm stereotyping and I'm not talking about an individual. But some women, when they are single for a long time and they hit a certain age and they decide they want to have a kid, having the child is more important than being in the relationship. So they really were not looking for a man. They were looking for a kid. So when they get the kid they dump the man. (laughs) (laughs) Very common. You won't believe how common that is. Like, way too common. And they don't even realize they're doing it. Because that's how subtle it is. But
1: actually, on Facebook, all kinds of people are flaunting a single mom life.
0: Okay, I'm not talking about single mom life. You know what? I'm happier for the single mom life than don't mix a guy into the picture. If you want a kid, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't, as a rabbi, I can't condone or condemn any of this stuff. I, I didn't hear any of this. But the point is, no, really, I have to have a certain boundary somewhere. But I'm telling you because I see this so often, It's shocking. It's shocking. And of course, there's the opposite way around, where he, he, it's really become, look, you're single a long time, you become very selfish. It's a reality. You become, uh, you have certain things that you like, you have certain, and then it becomes very difficult. Studies have shown that it takes two months for every year that you're living single to get used to living with somebody else.
1: I don't have that not,
0: That's what this research. I don't make this stuff up. This is scientists. Yeah. Talk to them. You can look it up. This is real research. So you have to know that. So no. So I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm saying it I say this often to couples once they get married. I say, oh, so you know, you're okay, you've been single how many years? You've been single ten years? You've been single eight years? I just want to let you know the first two years of your relationship living together is a write-off. If it goes good, Call it gravy, but it's going to go bad in every way. And I tell them, you got to get through those first two years because just the act of the two of you living together in the same space is going to take you two years to get used to if you've been alone for 10 years. So that is just a reality. That's why maybe... I would suggest if I was the matchmaker or people were asking me for advice on this particular situation, if there's more losses than gains, and they were asking for real advice, I would say to them, hold off moving in together. Because the moment you move in together, the relationship will change, and it's going to be to the worst for two years.
1: So what do you do? Do you
0: just get married and live up? No, I didn't say... What, what to do. I mean, every situation is different. I'm just saying that you need to be conscious of that if you're living alone, that it's going to take you time to adjust to the physical elements of living together with somebody. So that's a really important boundary right there. Am I depressing you? I no. Yeah. I
1: have a friend whose parents lived in the same building. One had an apartment upstairs. That's the way to do it.
0: <laughs> and they were happily married for 75 years. Perfect. Yeah, I, I've been going around now interviewing couples, I'm doing this, this show called Old People in Love. And I've been going around interviewing couples who are married 60 years plus. I have to tell you, it's cute. And so, you know, in the beginning it's all jokes. It's all fun and games. So, this, you know, the, the, you, you start off, you, if you get there, you know, these couples and sitting next to each other, like, okay, what's your secret? So you have this, this guy. They're married 64 years. He turns to her and he says, being married to her has been like two days. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. That's so amazing. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av.
1: (laughs) What did you
0: say? it's like the guy comes down after seventy years of marriage. He sees his wife baking a nice cake. Says, Just don't touch it. It's for your shiva. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there is there are some really nice golden nuggets that I've gotten from some of these old couples that are married a long time. They do have a lot of secrets. What
1: did they say?
0: They, they say lots of different things? things. They say lots of different things. We'll talk about it soon. Maybe one night I'll just do this thing about all what, what old people say. I've learned a lot, really. You know, you, you, you don't get, you don't stay married for a long time just because. And again, a lot of them are part of a generation which I believe is a lost art of marriage because today everything is disposable. They don't. You know, these are people who go and fix their shoes when they break, and they're people who fix their marriages when they break too. I would say that's the most I've learned. The same people who fix their shoes when they break are the people who fix their marriages. There's a there's a there's a correlation between. Not living in a disposable generation And not living in a disposable marriage generation I would have to, if I had to sum it all up and, and it's a lost art And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate About going and finding out these answers Is I know that these people are not going to be around forever And in our, our generation is, It doesn't understand this, this art of, of, of what it means to be together Through thick and thin It's hard so what is the secret? Huh? I told you, if you if you if you want to fix it, then you then then there's a way. Marriage is not perfect; it's not hunky dory. The secret is is that you have to want to fix it. You have to want to work on it, huh? Yeah, and definitely have some good old people role models. So, let's go back into here, And and we'll continue building this up as we go along, and you can continue working on it yourself. And we'll build it up. So, uh, middle of page one. A woman named Rebecca came to see me about a problem she was having, breaking off a relationship. She explained, someone introduced me to Mark. I knew right away that there wasn't a future for us. Although we always spoke about marriage, I never respected him, and I could never see him as part of my life. Nonetheless, it was hard for me to break away. Mark was so charismatic and exciting. I was afraid that I would be bored with a healthy, normal guy. We dated for a while and enjoyed each other's company, but I knew that he wasn't good for me. I finally mustered the strength to break it off. But a few days later, we ran into each other, and we decided to give our relationship another chance. Heard this before? I was thrilled for about a week... And then I started to remember how bad Mark was for me. His lack of purpose and productivity in life always pulled me off course. It took me a couple of weeks to get fed up and break up again. We went back and forth four times. We're no longer seeing each other, but I still think about him. And I'm afraid that if I see Mark again, I'll slip back into dating him again. Sound familiar? Happens to a lot of people. No one likes to feel out of control. If you find yourself going against your rational impulses and healthy convictions, it may be a sign that your boundaries need strengthening. If you have to learn to say no, you also have to learn to respect your needs and hold on to your convictions. To do the right thing. When you uphold your boundaries. You feel good about yourself. When you stick to your guns. It bolsters your self-esteem. It's a positive cycle. The higher your self-esteem. The more comfortable you'll be. In establishing and maintaining boundaries. So. This may may or may not apply to you. I'm just going to brush over this. I put this together on your handout, so You have a very clear step-by-step guide. This is Rabbi Bernath's step-by-step guide to breaking up. Right here, right now. So, if you're trying to break out of a relationship that's not good for you, follow these steps. Number one, first create a motto. For example, I want to be in a relationship that's healthy and respectable. Define what you think a healthy and respectable relationship is. For example, you might say, it's when you feel good about yourself, respect the man you're dating, and feel the relationship is helping you become your best self. So what you need in order to decide what you don't need is you need to know what you want in the relationship, what you're trying to get out of the relationship. There needs to be a leading element to this relationship. You have to decide, I want a specific thing out of this relationship, and if I'm not getting it, now it could be, look back at your Venn diagram. It could be there's too much character in what you want. It could be there's too much self and other. And maybe, most, probably most generally, there'll be too much thirdness in what you want. So make sure that you have a, a, a common of all three that you're not being too one-sided. But you need to have a positive outlook and a positive view of what the relationship should and shouldn't look, look like. Number two. List all the reasons why this man... Could not be a potential mate And why the relationship isn't working <clears throat> Be careful to articulate all of the issues So You are bound to repeat those things That you don't learn from There are some people who I find Same, per- same person, different face They keep on getting into the same relationships Happens to be a different person But it's the same relationship It's because they keep in this cycle because they never learned from the last one. If you wanna break out of that cycle, you have to learn to be able to connect your heart and mind. So often we're attracted to one thing, but we want something else. The greatest thing would be is if we can have a balance between our heart and mind. Number three, clarify and affirm the following. I am capable. Of controlling my choices and thoughts. Which will ultimately give me control over my feelings. It might not be easy, but I can do it. We all have the ability to control our choices. Unfortunately, we only utilize this potential to a small degree. It's so important... To know that we are in control. And relationships are those examples and times that we often feel the most out of control because there is somebody else in this relationship. Because it has to do with someone else. (laughs) Number four, plan out how you're going to break up and include any obstacles that you may encounter. For example, you might write, When I break up, it will be clear and firm. I have to be careful not to let him throw me off. If he does, I will say, and then fill in the blank, it may help to rehearse your game plan with a friend. So don't just be impulsive about the breakup. A lot of people end up becoming impulsive about the breakup, and then they get back into the relationship. Number five, after writing all this down, keep it in a place that's very accessible. Refer back to it. And number six, create a support team of friends or family who can and want to help you stay strong, so that you can call them when you have a weak moment. Do you think so, people can change? Do so I think people can change? I think people can change if their losses are more than their gains. <coughs> sure about
1: that.
0: When your losses are more than your gains. Yes. There's a lot of people who live in a place where their gains are more than their losses. Yeah, I would say so Now, breaking up is half the battle Staying away is the other half So here is my step-by-step process to staying away How are we doing so far? Are you as depressed as I am? No, I'm joking Okay Number one Read over all the reasons your ex isn't good for you. Isn't a good match for you, especially if you're having a weak moment. Number two, create a stay-away motto. For instance, since I'm capable of controlling my choices and feelings, I will exercise this power. This includes choosing not to not recall the positive aspects, especially because those rose-colored memories can weaken my resolve. Stay away. Isn't it strange that after a breakup all you can think about are the good points? How does that happen? How is it that human tendency is that after a breakup all we can think about is the good things? Like you knew a million reasons why it was bad when you broke up, and that is why you broke up. But all of a sudden, you forget that. And that is why it is so important that when you break up, before you break up, that you write it all down and refer to it and have it in an accessible place at all times because you will and you must be able to refer back to it at all times because otherwise you will get back into that relationship. Whether real or in your head. I'll take questions in a second. Number three, get rid of or put away all mementos. This might sound extreme, but if the desire to go back to a bad relationship is strong, it's very important to get rid of. Destroy and burn any relics of the past. Stay in close contact with the support team and call them the second you have a weak moment. Questions, comments, death threats? yeah. Josh the
1: question works you don't
0: know what it is you've got to look strong, so yeah 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 it could be it could be but when that happens it's important to have a way to document it because you're going to end up rem- reminiscing on the good stuff eventually very soon what kind of, of <clears throat> you
1: said about the fantasy relationship you know, you're in this fantasy mode
0: and yeah it could be that you're in a fantasy relationship for a long time nostalgic, still
1: nostalgic. I would
0: hope that you don't want to get into that nostalgic fantasy relationship I know it's comfortable but I would hope you don't want to get there. Yeah. Isn't this similar to the fantasy where uh, people say like, oh, here
1: she'll change. I mean, it one day's gonna, gonna
0: change. Yeah, a lot of people get into relationships for what people could be, not for who they are. Very common I, issue. I would never want to get into a relationship to change somebody because you're not going to change anybody, guaranteed, or your money back. Yeah. So
1: step 3B. What's 3B? Stop following our friend.
0: yeah. I'm friends, stop following. Very good. That's step 3B. It comes together with step 3. Oh, but so, yes. Oh, yes, please. No friends. I don't want this friends. Oh, now oh, we're in a relationship for three years. Now we're just friends. Shut up. You're not friends. There's no guy in history that ever wanted to be friends with you. I'm sorry to say it. And that's the end of it. You told me I can... Dig. I'm digging. digging. So how are we doing? You're not yet. Work hard. They're not friends with you. None of them. Unfriend them. The end. Cut. Break. Smash. Don't hold on to teddy bears. I don't care how it makes you feel. Smash them. Throw them out the window. Make sure it doesn't land on anybody. Anything else? I see a lot of quiet. Okay. Are we thinking or are we worried? Yes. What about the point you see and the um, point you say? Is it tragic after the breakup?
1: up? Yeah. What about the what, what about it the person?
0: only things the bad. Thing? Um, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yes. If you, all you can think about is the bad things about the person after the breakup, that's healthy. I'm just just pointing out the things that were unhealthy. But yeah, it's good to note that. If you're thinking about bad stuff, good. Continue that. Unfriend, destroy, get rid of, bye. We never knew each other. Yeah? You're basically saying, get rid of everything that would remind you about the first thing. Yes.
1: Yes. Because
0: it's really easy and those moments of weakness to go back to what's comfortable. And relationships are comfortable, and your last relationship is going to be comfortable. And you don't want to be comfortable because the more comfortable you are, the more you're not going to want to move on. You want to be uncomfortable. If I had a great wish, I want singlehood to be as uncomfortable as possible. The more comfortable you are being single, the harder it is going to be for you to get into a relationship. I know it's tough am not saying it's easy but that would be a great wish because if you're uncomfortable being single it means there's something missing in your life and that is what the Torah tells us to do we have to look for that other person as if there's something missing in our life to that level you ever look for your phone when you lost it you ever look for your keys when you lost it you ever look for your passport when you lost it or important documents when you lost it, you look for someone like that. That's what the Torah wants us to do.
1: as you get older, you get No,
0: you don't get comfortable, you have a, a laundry list that needs to get thrown out the window. That's it. Okay. Throw out the laundry list and look for the person. It's not an idea, it's not a thought process, it's not a vision of the future, it's not euphoria, and no one's gonna solve your problems, and it's not a therapist or a doctor, It is a person who will love you unconditionally and you will love them back unconditionally. That is what you're looking for. And there's nothing like it in the world. Amen. (laughs) So, I sat down with Rebecca and we went over all these steps. She clarified the fact that she indeed needed to be in a relationship with someone she respected. She created a vision of what that man might be like. She believed in her ability to control her choices. She wrote it all down clearly, including a clear description of all his bad habits. She was strong for about six months. And then she came to me very upset with herself. She said, I don't Know what happened to me. Yesterday, I knew that Mark was no good for me. I was totally clear. Today, I found myself writing him an email. What happened to me? Six months. She had a fall. And it happens. The good news is, is that you can make a fall work for you if you turn it into an increased conviction. Mm -hmm. Increased conviction sounds like this. That's it I am not going to make the same mistake I have to review and strengthen the reasons I broke up I have to stop myself from recalling his good points I have a support team And next time I will call one of the people on that team And not the man I was dating Rebecca did strengthen herself She got back up But this time she was stronger and clearer And after that, she never went back to date Mark again. She met her future husband about a year later, and when she told me about him, she said, I can't believe I feel this way about a healthy, productive guy. I never thought it would happen. He's so responsible. He's so fun, interesting, intelligent, motivated, and attractive. He's a breath of fresh air. Once Rebecca strengthened herself, her boundaries and her definition of what she needed She was truly able to empty her cup of the wrong relationship and make the final break. And that's okay. And I'm going to say it. It's okay if you don't truly make the final break until after you're in her next relationship. Because there is a little bit of a safety mechanism that we have in place. But you need to be in a space where you can allow someone else into your life. So it could be that person is still going to harbor And that's okay. I don't think you should be married for two years and that person should still be harboring But you can be in a relationship with a new person and have the old person still lingering kind of in your mind. That's okay. As long as it's not on on your forehead and a little bit more in the back of your mind. Let's talk about this other person. There's another person. Her name was Denise. She had a similar problem. Like Rebecca, she was dating a guy with whom she knew she couldn't build a life. She was having trouble breaking up with him. She came to see me and explained the problem. Rob was often depressed and had a hard time communicating. He had a habit of jumping from job to job. Denise, on the other hand, had a full-time position she was committed to. She had also spent a lot of time creating life goals that she wanted to accomplish. And Rob wasn't interested in change. He was happily peddling his way through life without any ambition. And yet, despite all this, Denise was still enamored by Rob. She was very taken by his looks, and he also treated her very well. She felt paralyzed by her mixed feelings, the mixed feelings of her mind and her heart that were not meeting the same goals. Denise's confusion pushed her to investigate her intense need for love and approval. She took it, instead of it being under self and other, she took it back to character. Why? Why? Do I have a mixed feeling when it comes to relationships? Why am I feeling an attraction towards a guy who is not going to help me build a life? Question, where is this relationship headed? It's about him. We often blame someone else. It's easy to blame someone else. The first thing you do is blame yourself. It's hard to blame yourself. We're our best advocates. We fight for ourselves every single day. Go back to character. Say, why am I attracted to this when I know it's wrong? What is it about me that attracts me? The only way you're going to change is by pushing the onus back on yourself. Her need for these things was blocking her dream of building a life. With a man who had a similar goal She started to understand That her feelings for Rob Weren't based on real love After all Just a needless and comfortable security She realized That what she longed for Was real love Which would be liberating Nurturing and growth oriented And yet Even with this newfound awareness She didn't stop dating him because she was afraid she'd never find anyone else. Hear that a lot. Comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. Location, location, location. Denise and I worked through the breakup and the stay-away steps, and finally she found the strength. She realized that even if she didn't find anyone else, dating this man was draining her of her vitality, and marrying him would be even worse. Denise broke it off and began dating other men. The only problem was is that she then compared every single man she met to Rob. And guess what? Because she wasn't dating Rob anymore, no one was ever as good as him. So it was important for me to say to her that she had to let go of that experience and instead imagine dating a man with similar life goals to her. This Common space is so important, the common space between character and self and other, which means if I have all of my life goals here, then I'm going to want to find someone who's on a similar path than me. question I've been asked so many times, what is more important, similar origin or similar destination? If you guys are on a similar path and growing together, you are going to be more successful than if you came from a similar place. You want to be going in a similar destination. Two people who have a lot in common because they come from a similar place, but they're going in different directions, are going to have a very hard time making a relationship work. They could live, we're going to talk about in a codependent relationship, we'll talk about that soon but that's probably one of the central ways that codependent relationships start evolving. Denise and I worked on breaking off the relationship with Rob. Not thinking that anyone would ever be as good as him, Not comparing every other man to him. And she ends up letting go of that experience. She ends up dating men with similar life goals. People she could respect, people she could appreciate. And people that she obviously could be attracted to as well. But, and here's a key, the attraction did not need to be as intense and all-encompassing. And after a while, she did meet that man. And he really liked her. And she said that even though the attraction didn't bowl her over, it was there. As her feelings for him grew, and I'm going to make a big underline under that, as her feelings for him grew, which means it didn't happen, easy come, easy go. The attraction became stronger. And at that time, she realized that there was so much more to their relationship than attraction. After they got married, she understood for the first time in her life That love was not the same as neediness Once she committed herself to finding a man With whom she could build a healthy relationship She was able to step out of the doomed relationship she was in Now, a lot of people have asked me to to do this So this morning I put my fingers to the keyboard and try to put together a concise definition of codependent relationships, which I'd like to talk about. Before I go into codependent relationships, any questions or comments? We, yeah. didn't, we didn't go on to
1: through, third seriousness of uh, people in life. Like we didn't go on to that let's say, your uh, mother, your uncle, your friend, all these people that, that will influence this uh, relationship that you're getting into. So, right. You know, what's you're on all this stuff.
0: So, we didn't go in through all of these other people who influenced your relationship. It's true. And it's important. Where do you put all those other people, like your parents? Where do you put them? Character, self and other, or thirdness? Both. Where? Both. Self and other. Parents go in self and other. I would say all, all, three. all three? Parents go in character. Your nurture and your sense of origin is going to go in your character and you can't do anything about it. But you can call it out and if you don't like it, you can change it. If you're giving an ultimatum between the parents and the person, well, then you've got a comment space that's a negative comment space. If any parents or person would give an ultimatum between parents and person, then they are... Mis- they- are missing the most crucial thing. We don't know how someone is going to be a spouse. We don't know how they're going to be a husband and wife. But we do know how they are the pe- with the people they have to be around. So I want to know, how is that person with the people they have to be around? If they're a good child to their parents, or a good sibling to their siblings, we probably have a good idea of what kind of spouse they're going to be. And if they're not, well, it could be they'll still be a good spouse, and it could be they won't be. But I think that if you're not in a good relationship with your parents, you need to make sure that you are comfortable being in a relationship with people you have to be in a relationship with. And if you are in a good relationship with your parents or did have a good relationship with your parents, it's a really good indicator that you're probably going to be a good husband or wife.
1: Grandparents? Yeah. No, no, like your
0: boyfriend? Yeah, so I would, definitely look, I, would, I would definitely look for someone. If I had like a list of things that I would look for, one of them would be is somebody who's in a good relationship with the parents. What about that
1: uncle, father, mother uh, that doesn't like that one? Your girlfriend, girlfriend doesn't like that
0: one. You know what? At, the, at some point, you've got to grow up and say, I'm taking my own life. And you know what? Maybe I am making a mistake, but it's my own mistakes. Yeah. What if you had like
1: a kind of like verbally abusive parents in a way um, and like you didn't really have like a good life like with them
0: it was hard with them because they didn't treat you uh, in a good way I guess Call, call, um, call it and out you, but you, yeah, and go for therapy Call it out
1: but they, they don't understand they, No, that's, it's
0: nothing to do with it's nothing to do with them and this is an important thing and I'm sorry to cut you off But it's such an important thing that I think a lot of people—a big mistake people make—is it has nothing to do with them. At the end of the day, at some point, you have to grow up and become your own person. So you want to call it out, say what it is, and go for therapy. Because yeah, you're going to have to figure out a way of getting into a a a positive relationship after that. It's tough. Yeah. It's not easy.
1: What I what I did though is uh, I said I never want to be treating anyone like this. So I did the opposite and I made
0: myself. So. Some people will do the opposite. Opposite may not be the best best solution. It could be your best solution today. Maybe not be your best solution forever, but definitely a better solution than repeating their mistakes. No question about it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go into codependent relationships because I think it's it's a really important thing. Do I have a few minutes now? Is it okay? Are people getting uh, spookies? You want to take some jumping jacks, spookies? I don't know. I don't get the spookies when I teach because I'm walking around the whole time. (laughs) Okay, let's go to codependent relationships. Like I said, this is uh, the first time I really had an opportunity to really kind of write it down. So I don't know if it's kind of crystal clear yet. I haven't really gone over it, but I'm hoping that over the course of our talking it out, we'll be able to make it crystal clear. There are many misconceptions as to what a codependent relationship is. Any close relationship with friends, with relatives, with a spouse, requires some level of healthy dependence. If you're there for each other, you help each other out in various ways. There would be no trust if you couldn't depend on the other person to a certain extent, and vice versa. A codependent relationship, however, goes beyond the normal level of dependence. It's when two people actually depend on each other for dear life. Neither feel that they can stand on their own two feet. They rely on each other for their sense of worthiness and often for their sense of identity. They can only love themselves through the other person's eyes. Their boundaries are obviously not well-defined and since two can only, can be one only if one can be two, two yeah, yeah. can be one only if one can be two, they have no real potential for genuine closeness. I was approached by a woman named Pamela regarding a guy named Dave, a man she had been dating for a while. Although they had spoken about marriage, she had serious doubts that it would ever happen. She was having trouble respecting Dave, and even though he was smart, he never pushed himself to attend college because he lacked initiative and direction. And because he never worked on his character, he had the emotional maturity of a much younger man. Pamela was the opposite. She had finished college and had taken time to work on herself. Even though she said she loved him, she was sick of nagging and mothering him. I supported her in moving forward. A few days later, I saw Pamela and asked her what had happened with Dave. She said, I broke it off. But then we got back together. He just can't survive without me. I can't do this to him. In reality, she also couldn't survive without him. Or better said, she couldn't survive without him needing her. Her whole sense of self and value was based on him needing her. Dave needed her for his self-definition. And Pamela needed him for hers. Both sides of a codependent relationship are really screaming out, I don't have a self without you. Or I don't know who I am without you. That's why they're holding on for dear life. I told Pamela that if she wanted to stay together and build a healthy relationship with Dave, they would first need to take a break. During that separation, Dave needed to seek counseling from people who could really help him, instead of leaning on Pamela she simultaneously needed to develop her own self-esteem and her own self-definition. Instead of depending on his neediness to feel a sense of worth, if they stayed together without doing this work, they would simply be using each other, and chances are that neither would ever grow up. The paradigm of a codependent relationship is that one partner is weak while the other is strong. As in the case of Pamela and Dave, the gridlock of a codependent relationship is the result of a strong person needing a weak person to be weak. And simultaneously, the weak person needing the strong person to be strong. And this is the dance of codependency. If the weak person suddenly becomes empowered, it throws the dance off. And the dancers are out of sync. Since the codependent dance does not work in solo, each partner does his or her best to keep the other stuck and the codependence, in the gridlock. The yeah. I can't live without you connection that Dave and Pamela felt was actually what psychologists call enmeshment. The loss of oneself into the other person. Many people confuse closeness with enmeshment. A parent can be enmeshed with a child, a friend can be enmeshed with a friend, and of course a woman can be enmeshed with a man she's dating or vice-versa. With enmeshment, your personal identity blurs into the identity of the other person. You might even start to think and feel as if you are the other person. An enmeshed relationship is where the couple has lost their individual identities in one another. The transition from separate to one happened too quickly, suddenly, and effortlessly. Although not every enmeshed relationship is codependent, every codependent relationship is enmeshed. It's possible for one side of a relationship to be enmeshed. If both sides are enmeshed, the relationship is typically codependent. For example, if the situation with Pamela and Dave were different, if Pamela had been healthy, a strong woman, and Dave different, if Pamela had been healthy a strong woman, and Dave lost identity in the relationship, then she was upset about it rather than empowered by it. This would have been a situation of one-sided enmeshment, not codependence. And it's often, by the way, in an enmeshed relationship, there's often a one sided enmeshment. Love, on the other hand, is not a loss is not a loss of self in the other. Love is a voluntary, mature giving of self to another, as opposed to an obsessive, needy type of giving. It's not trying to be the other. Rather, it is being oneself and accepting the other realistically, with his or her faults and differences. In a loving relationship, each wants the other to be maximized. Each takes joy in the other's successes. Neither person desires to the other as weak, limited, or broken. Take, for example, this Brian, this man in his second marriage. Although Brian had children from his first marriage, his second wife did not. When their first child was born, Brian was thrilled to be a father. But when reality moved in, He was seeing his wife's joy upon experiencing being a mother for the first time. With love, each of them can breathe. They get very close, but they can also distance themselves. Every married couple experiences cycles of more intense closeness versus times of less intense closeness. At times, the circles completely coincide. There's a profound closeness and oneness formed. As the two give themselves and give of themselves. But they're not... Excuse me. But they're not holding on for dear life. They each have a life, and they are giving of their life. That's why some say that in a loving relationship, one plus one is a hundred. Because two people pool their strengths, their wisdom, and their energy. And the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. In a healthy relationship there's a constant give and take. Both give and both receive. Of course there are times in a healthy relationship when one is more needy and therefore and more and one is more of a receiver. But it's very different from the strong versus weak dance of codependency. A codependent couple needs to realize that until they each develop their separate identities, their individual sense of worthiness And seek ways to heal themselves They will never taste the joy of true love As they establish healthy boundaries in their lives They'll open the door to healthy dating possibilities The sign of a balanced relationship Is that it doesn't throw your entire life into turmoil A healthy relationship enables both parties To maximize their potential Just to make sure that you take it slow And even if you feel like you're falling into the other person It's not a good sign People should consciously merge together, though maturely sharing, opening up, and letting the other person into their worlds. It's so common, this dance of codependency, is so common in relationships. What's happening in the codependency is that it's this kind of dance where I don't really know myself, so I'm gonna find myself in you. Like I think, a lot of people think their problems will be solved by getting into a relationship. There are people, Still to this day, I mean, it definitely was years ago. But there are people still to this day who think that their problems will be solved by getting into a relationship. They will probably end up in a codependent relationship with that attitude.
1: Yeah? Is it possible that two people involved in a codependent relationship could evolve into a healthy relationship?
0: Can a codependent relationship evolve into a healthy relationship? I would say stereotypically they would need a very good therapist. But yes, it's possible. If they're both have more losses than gains and they're willing to really work on building a relationship. I have seen it happen. What do you call a loss? A loss? <laughs> what do you call a loss? Losing
1: the other person?
0: Um, that could be a codependent loss. Yeah. That's a basic loss. Losing yourself. Losing yourself. Losing. Yeah. The, the, the loss. There's, there's a lot of reasons why... People like the security of a codependent relationship. That's a game. Security of codependency. Um, the feeling of being in someone that makes you feel better. Or being in a, in a relationship with somebody who makes you feel more whole. Or someone who makes you feel good about yourself. There could be now... There is dependency in relationships.
1: Children
0: Huh? Children. Yeah, children is a great example of codependency. It could be. Right? All of a sudden, you have a child. There are couples there are couples who are fine until their children move out of the house and they look at each other like, who are we? I don't know. We've been raising kids for the past 15 years and I have no idea who you are because we really didn't exist as a couple. We just existed as two people trying to raise a family. And I'm not saying that's not, that's not good. I mean, it's great for the kids, but it wasn't great for the couple. Fiddler on the roof. Huh? Fiddler on the, roof. Fiddler on the roof. Do you love me? Uh, it's a question for you. Yeah.
1: What is well, the
0: result of it? Um, studies, studies have shown that majority of divorces happen within the first three years Three years? First three in years
1: that, in that instance.
0: No, no, first three years of marriage Majority of divorces happen mm-hmm. Actually oh, within the first 18 months But after 18 months, there's three years And then the next big is, they call the seven year itch So it's like between seven and ten years And then is 18 years And that 18 that year moment is uh, is like where it's, it's, the, it's the empty nester So to speak, that's what they call it It's not exactly that but basically, in that stage of life, it's a, it's a different relationship. Kind of like two people are in a relationship, a kid comes along, different relationship. Then the kid leaves the house, it becomes a different relationship. So. Um,
1: it's funny because, I mean, you know, I think we're, most of us are still young, uh, or all of us. And um, leaving kids would be like, well, good riddance, right? I mean, just get them out of there, right? Isn't that the attitude nowadays? <laughs> I hope not. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the phenomenon I've been observing for the past 20 to 30 years. Not that I think it's good or bad. It doesn't matter to me. But, you know... I mean, it's very beautiful having children. All, less of burden, less of this, less of that, less of everything.
0: I think that um, maybe people who don't have children would say that.
1: Well, no. They have kids, they think. They, they left. I don't know. That That's why... Um, I'm a bit puzzled. Well, maybe there's different kinds. I don't know. You ever met
0: Jewish you. mothers? Okay,
1: maybe I'm thinking they're attached. Thinking they're attached example. to their kids at the hip. Well, I was thinking
0: they never leave. <laughs> you're my baby forever. Uh. Okay.
1: It's terrible. Yeah. Well, I maybe there's just a sense of usefulness, and as simple as that. Yeah. If you lose a job, you don't feel useful anymore. It could be. It could be and, and,
0: and it could be that there's an enmeshment In the parent-child relationship In that case
1: yeah. It
0: could be that those Jewish mothers Find a sense of gratitude and joy And fulfillment in having those, those Children and they're enmeshed in that relationship It could be And that's unhealthy because the child Is going to want to break away and there's going to be a real rupture When that happens I've seen that What else? Thoughts, comments?
1: What you just said now, like, if you if I can keep yeah. talking, I don't want to take from everybody. But, um, now, this Jewish mother, whatever you call it, uh, it would that explain this? Um, I don't know what her name was, Pamela, or yeah. Louise, or? And she would basically get into this style of the relationship with the fancy, where she would. So, there's a lot of,
0: there's a lot of, I'm I'm stereotyping, but there's a lot of women that come from unhealthy environments that feel a sense of security with a man, and they want that sense of security, so they get into codependent relationships just for the sense of security. I
1: was thinking very healthy environment, or too healthy, there you go, too healthy. Maybe,
0: maybe. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe it could be the, yeah, look, too too healthy healthy is also unhealthy.
1: What What means to help? Which means means? if
0: you... You are going to mimic the relationship of your parents unless you decide to, as Michael said, either go to the exact opposite or you go through the proper process of figuring out what your own relationship will look like. But the relationship that's closest to you is your parents' relationship. So if your parents got divorced, you're probably going to get divorced. If your parents were happily married, you'll probably be happily married. Unless you Are conscious So the first conscious Is going to be A negative conscious I don't like the way My parents were Or are married Okay So you can start off With all the things You didn't like about it And then maybe you can Start and continue With the things You did like about it And then you can decide Well this is what I want to do differently So there's a process there Of creating The character self and other And thirdness The character here Is your parent's relationship The self and other is going to be your relationship, and the third is going to be the elements of the relationship you can't control. So, this, this Venn diagram is going to work in all those different ways. Yeah, but what happens
1: if the one, one partner, like someone has the parents uh, in a good relationship, the other one has divorced? One yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not yeah. Look, we, we
0: would think that children of, of, of divorced homes would have a better time in relationships, but studies have shown that it's not true. It's actually if you're from a divorced home, the the, the odds are that you're going to have a much more difficult time being in a relationship. Unless you have gone through the process, and I've spoken about this many times, I'll just say it again because I think it's so important for children from divorced homes or from homes of which there was not a happy marriage, is to, number one, they need to decide why their parents got divorced or why their parents' relationship was unhealthy, and how do they decide that? On their own they don't ask their parents because it's valueless. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what anyone says. It's your own personal narrative. So you just ask yourself. You must have an answer to that question. Why did your parents get divorced? Answer it. Why were your parents' relationship unhealthy? Answer it. Or if they, had a, if they think they have or had a healthy relationship, but you don't think so, answer the question. Why don't I think so? Number two... It's not your fault. A lot of children blame themselves for their parents' unhappiness. Very common, most common. It's not your fault. At some point, you gotta grow up and become an adult and realize that it's not your fault. And number three, and most importantly, once you go through the first two, you have to decide what does a healthy relationship look like? And I highly recommend you have a couple who is your role model. So not just a theoretical relationship, but a practical relationship, <laughs> a practical role model for what a healthy relationship looks like.
1: You're talking about the statistic. Yes. Uh, that if the, the parents get divorced, so you might be the same thing. What do you think? It's, what do you think it is?
0: What's the divorce rate in 2000? In, history, in, in the United States in 2017, the divorce rate was. Fifty four percent. Fifty four. Fifty three point
1: eight.
0: <laughs> you really want to know. We'll call it fifty four. talk um, about statistics.
1: Yes. But doesn't pay to get married.
0: What is the divorce rate amongst people from divorced homes? But, uh, but 90 percent.
1: in Quebec for example. Seventy two percent.
0: Yeah well here in Quebec it's different. Population. Here in Quebec, is, but common laws of marriage. I mean, I'm well, not going to no, get into Quebec uh, politics.
1: Just that's abroad, yeah. Maybe even across the world. Uh, we, don't,
0: we, we, don't, we don't think so. There's something about that commitment. It's very powerful. No, I no, can s- what, I mean, what I mean is, as you, what you were saying,
1: saying statistics, so, or you were saying, yeah, I mean, talk about marriage, but there is no real marriage. People just live together. Um,
0: at yeah, large. Yeah. Look, the reason why divorce rates is getting lower is because people aren't getting married. <laughs> There's no yeah. question. Uh,
1: exactly. it can get voice so true. it should be much higher
0: than higher than 53%. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot... Look, I think, for example, I've spoken to rabbis. I actually spoke recently at a, at a rabbinical conference and I was saying that rabbis have to stop talking about intermarriage and start talking about marriage because intermarriage is not an issue anymore because no one's getting married. And we have to start speaking about the positive virtues of getting married and talking about how to live... And a healthy relationship. That is one of the things I'm very passionate about. They
1: are getting married in a sense in in a court of law.
0: Or not. Or not. As as the law
1: sees it. Or not. No, but they are. Yeah, common law. Exactly. But people
0: aren't going through that process of making that lifelong commitment because everything is instant.
1: So, So you have the right formula?
0: I don't know. I can only tell you uh, 14 years worth, personally. I can't tell you uh, any more than that. But I definitely am interested in it. I'm interested to know what the 60 years look like. I've spoken to a lot of couples now who have been married 60 years, and I think that they have some very good advice. I definitely can give you the shared experiences of those couples. Okay, but they are the older generation. They are, and that's are, why I don't know. I don't know in this generation how to, how to fix the instant oatmeal problem. <laughs> I don't have. I don't have. Like, you know, we, we throw things out like, uh, like it's going out of style. I, I, don't have, I don't have an answer for that. You know, it's, if, it has to come from within. There has to be more losses than gains. If you have more gains from being single, you're not going to get married. If you have more losses from being single, you're going to get married. Well, there is
1: this woman. Her name is Helen Smith. Have you heard of yes. her? Yes. Because she makes some pretty good points. Yeah.
0: She... Look, there's a lot of people out there. John Gottman is amazing. Oh. Uh, What's his name? John Gottman. I recommend uh, his work. G O T T M A N. I quoted him last week as well. Um, I think his work is amazing. He's written 6 or 7 books already now on relationships. Um, I I there's some really great people out there. If you want to if you if you go on my Facebook page, I, I, I often share a lot of a, a lot of good stuff out. Books. I I share I share books, I share articles, I share statistics. I'm constantly looking every single day at what's out and there.
1: You
0: They can bring the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. For
1: John Gray? Huh? John Gray. Well, no, you, I don't, I don't, I don't like you, you can't make him grieve. That's, that's yeah. Saying. Absolutely. But I was going to say, that that's the point someone made. Um, yeah. You know, you, you were saying you come from a family of divorcees. Mm-hmm. But the society at large, don't structured structure around that, that point. <clears throat> Well, going separate ways is not even a divorce, I think. It's just, what do you call that? Uh, it's very, very common. It's extremely common. Natural, common. <coughs> you know what I mean? I think it's just easier to give up. That's the generation. Well, oh, I'm not even going to go there. Or on the I think it's uh, the amount of expectation <coughs>
0: from one to the other. I would say so. Exploitation is a very big thing. Yeah. Oh well maybe it doesn't take that Maybe. I don't know. Do you have more gains than losses? Probably not. What do you think? Well, I don't want to
1: sound cynical, but does that mean that people when they get into a relationship that there is an expired expiration date somewhere
0: along the line? Uh I, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not and if, you're, and, and, and if you look yeah. at it that way then I don't know why you would even want to get into the relationship to begin with it seems like that when you're talking you know <laughs> I feel like to a certain extent and I'm sorry to be so uh, so uh, direct about this but I feel like it's like a bunch of teenagers sitting around talking about what it's like to I don't know, you know have existential experiences you know at the end of the day talk to married people and ask them
1: can we assume that the consumerism Is an age where everything can be purchased In you know, plastic and
0: I would managed, hope not, I would hope that is, there's something about The the satisfaction Of a long-lasting relationship cannot be Replaced by anything that consumerism Can, can, can provide for you
1: the problem, they don't get problem.
0: I can tell you that I can only tell you that for myself
1: I was, was going to make the point a little bit deeper um, When you're That someone getting into relationships, relationship Mm -hmm. separated their heads, that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Anyone understand Um, my question? If you're submerged to your head with all kinds of raw materials that you can acquire at a cheap price very easily in an instant, Amazon, eBay, whatever, what makes you think that you cannot apply the same reasoning to any kind of relationship you're getting into? That's what I'm saying.
0: I've 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 often said that everything you need to be a good husband or wife is exactly the opposite of what you need to be a
1: good dater. Right, but it takes two to tango. You can come with a very good head, the other person.
0: Maybe, maybe.
1: So, so what, are what are the solutions? No. What
0: What are the solutions? What are good solutions? Having a
1: good, healthy relationship with our parents.
0: That's a great question. How about this? I would love to leave off tonight with that. What are good solutions? You see, if I were to spoon feed that to you, I would be doing a great injustice to you. The greatest thing I can do is put that question into your mind, if it has not been into your mind before tonight. I would never, ever want anyone to spoon feed that information to you because it's going to be different for every person. And I would love you to go on a self-exploration and try to figure out what is the answer to that question for you. It may have to do with your nature. It may have to do with your nurture. It may have to do with your self-perception, with how you look at yourself, how you look at your character, how you look at self and other, and how you look at goodness, and how you look at the interplay between all three of them. And this exercise that we did tonight is a great example of what you can do to try to figure out the answer to that question. No one is going to have the book that's going to say, read this book and it's going to tell you everything you need to know and you'll have a good relationship. Because you are not a book. You are a fluid person with unique talents, with unique history, with unique set of principles and values, with unique parents, with unique ideas, and unique history and relationships. And all those are going to play a factor into what a healthy relationship is going to look like for you.
1: There are no reason that uh, you know to get with uh, someone that they know to share. Uh, I don't think we've you know, mm-hmm. to be approached one to the other. Well, here's another question. if what is being described tonight is probably a thousand different places uh, out there, it's real, if it's real, are really think this at this current age, or has this been, you know, happening, or happened um, way back, let's say a thousand years? Um, is this, in other words, is this kind of original in its own way? A new? Or... Is this something that we haven't seen ever as a society before? Jewish or not, especially Jewish. You know what I mean? So is this new or is this... No, it's been seen a thousand years ago, two thousand years sure ago. I'm
0: sure in some ways it was seen in other times. I don't know. But I would rather try to focus on today because I think it's affecting us today. So I don't know in general. And it's funny because I just spent two hours before this talking to a group of people about how important history is for a particular discussion. And we're talking about radicalism, or we're talking about other things. But when it comes to relationships, I'm not sure that history can teach us too much. Because of the nature of relationships, though they are in their true form, they're the same, they're so different because of the context of
1: our society. Well, i have asked myself that question, and if I may, I'll give an answer. I think it's pretty new as far as, whether it's due to technological investments, or to travel way farther than before, or whatever, let called call it technology or this us call it you know, uh, comfort that uh, you mentioned comfort before, physical comfort, which is above and beyond anything we've ever seen. I, I, I would agree with that. Um, so maybe this has impacted the society in a way that we have never, ever, ever seen before. I would agree with you on that. I mean, I haven't found a tablet that's not like it's chiseled and, you know, Right. they've put all the notes.
0: Yeah. I, w- I would say that that's probably true Anyway I think uh, all good things Have to come to an end Thank you. And uh, To be continued I'd love to hear your ideas and thoughts And I want to continue this uh, on a regular basis I'm going to try to see if we can bring some, Another one of these back Probably next Wednesday Next Wednesday I'm going to do another one So if you have any ideas for topics The topic of codependency Came from a discussion last week I'm happy for other topics and I'm happy to write up different ideas and to talk about different ideas. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page,